It's time for Cadillac on Call on News Radio 610 KOMA. It's your chance to learn valuable health information right here in our community. Now, the host of Cadillac on Call, here's Jim Hall. Hello, friends. Welcome to Cadillac on Call, presented by the Cadillac Foundation. And each week we are here to share important health news and information relevant to our community and our region. And as it has been for more than 100 consecutive weeks, the COVID pandemic is again our primary focus today. I don't know what it is about the time slot when this program airs, but each Wednesday at this time, it seems to be a timely time slot because as we take the air today, there are usually new developments in the COVID fight. And it is once again the case in our area. As major news, we expect to hear soon that Governor Enzo will be announcing when he will be removing the statewide indoor mask mandate. And it comes as one school district in our area, the Richland School District, preempted that action by voting to rescind the mask mandate in schools. And as we're with you now, we understand they just concluded a three-hour executive session where it was presumed uh, they were going to make a decision to either affirm or reverse their decision, but we don't know what action, if any, was taken. So as we come on to the air tonight... We do know that the news is expected tomorrow with Governor Inslee uh, making some information on when we can hopefully, as we see declining numbers all across the state of Washington, uh, which I guess is the most important thing, that Omicron is hopefully going to be soon in our rearview ear. In the first half of our program this evening, we're pleased to have with us Dr. Umer Shah. He is the Secretary for the Washington State Department of Health, and it's a position he has held since December of 2020. So his tenure with our state so far has been all COVID all the time. Dr. Shaw, thank you for being with us today. And I know you're aware of the news of the Richland District, uh, what, what's happening there. But I guess let's just leave that aside for the moment. Uh, with the governor's announcement coming tomorrow, care to make any news tonight? <laughs> I think I've made enough news over time. I think at this point I would say let's keep it uh, let's keep it uh, non-newsworthy from that standpoint. But let's also say that the good news is that we have been seeing better numbers throughout the state of Washington, which, as you know, was one of the things that he had indicated last week was that he wanted to make sure that we continued in that you know in that trajectory, and that's what we've been seeing. And so that's fantastic news, and I think all of us should be happy about that. Yet. Obviously, I'm not going to get ahead of any announcements because I want to make sure that he's able to to make that announcement. I know when he spoke a week ago, uh, he had indicated that uh, that he wanted to give another week to determine, uh, see what the data looked like with one more week uh, progress with Omicron. From your view as a leader of the public health service of the state of Washington, what what does that data what what is the telling data that you're looking and he's looking to see so that we can take these next steps? Yeah, you know, I think I think it's it's clear that it's not just one number. It's really a summation of information, right? You you know, you and I both know that this is all of this is complex. It's it's nuanced. It's not a simple number that says, okay, if you if you do two there you go. If you do four, you can't, you know, or something of that nature. This is a, a complex uh, set of uh, data points that you put in. And I think the key measure, the key number that we've been watching is the hospitalization number, right? What's happening in hospitalizations across the state? How, how can we continue to focus on those who are most severely ill, whether it's hospitalized or even in an ICU or a ventil- on a ventilator, um, and, and are those numbers improving? That's the, that's the key piece of this. But, 
We're also looking at overall cases. We're looking at vaccination rates. We're looking at, you know, what's what's happening with, um, you know, people wearing uh, masks, where people are, are taking other precautions. We're looking at what's happening in other states. We're looking at what's happening in other countries. There's There's a lot that we're looking at. And then the final thing is this real knowledge about Omicron itself, that what we're seeing in other communities across the globe is how it it goes up as, as you would say, as a rocket, straight up, but it comes down pretty fast, too. And that's another part of the consideration as well. So as as we are speaking tonight, you touched on on the issue of hospitalizations, and I work for a healthcare system that has Cadillac, which is the largest hospital in this region, and and gets patients yeah. from not only the Tri Cities area but throughout Southeast Washington and ac- actually into Northeastern Oregon as well. And I guess one telling positive statistic is um, the statistic I saw at Cadillac today was twenty five hospitalized patients. A week ago, February eighth, it was fifty five. Two weeks ago, it was 68. So that's the kind of trend you want to see, right? That's right. It's, a, it's not just a decline. It's a significant decline. But you want to make sure the decline is sustained. So I think, I think you, you brought up all three of those points, right? It's a decline. It's not just a decline. It's a significant decline. And it's not just a significant decline. It's actually a sustained decline. That's the kind of information that we put together as we make decisions. And that's why... Uh, you know, I um, again say that the, the, the number one thing that we're really concerned about, which has been really the focus throughout, is what's happening in our healthcare system and what's that surge of patients that are coming into the healthcare system so we can do whatever we can to just obviously support those very providers that are doing such an amazing job every single day. With, and I, I know another statistic that, that you watch very closely is vaccination rates. And, and, and I know our area throughout the pandemic or throughout since vaccines were available has lagged behind. In fact, the stats I was just looking at today of the percent of the population age five and older fully vaccinated, which I guess would be two uh, shots. The state of Washington is just over 70 percent. Benton County is just under 58 or 59 percent. Franklin is at 54% and Walla Walla County at 62%. So again, we continue to lag in the vaccine rates. And is that something that maybe causes you a little caution as, as you try and, and see some of these uh, mitigation measures being able to be relieved a little bit? Well, absolutely right from the standpoint of the, the, the caution. Um, I, can, I can probably say it's been a year and a half since I started saying this, that it's not just about the overall percentage of vaccinations, whether one dose or, or two doses through, you know, through the state of Washington, like overall in the state. But it's really if we could assure that that was the percentage in every part of the state and every community within every part of the state, now you've got something. But as you just reflected on, there are going to be, therefore, some communities that are markedly higher when it comes to vaccine rates. You're going to have certain communities, and you just mentioned a few of them, that they're going to be lower. And that's the concern, because now you have people who are still at risk, and that's what, obviously, we also put into the equation as we start to think about what decisions need to be made. And the other thing I should, maybe I should back up and say, remember, we were in the, the Delta variant previously in the fall. Omicron has really been a game changer from the standpoint that it's a variant that has been very, it's, it's been shown to be very transmissible, but it's been shown to not cause as much severity of disease. 
And that's an important consideration because you have more, markedly more people that are likely exposed because of how transmissible it is, but not showing severe signs of disease. And we also have to obviously keep that in mind while we're also looking ahead to what other variants down the road may be on the horizon. We're visiting with Dr. Umer Shah, the Secretary of Health for the state of Washington, and he's graciously going to be with us for another segment. We'll get a little more detail on where we stand and, most importantly, where we're headed, and hopefully we can continue to see all of the indicators go in the right direction. We'll have more of our conversation right after this. You're listening to Cadillac On Call on 610 KONA. This program provides general information only. Any comments or information presented are strictly for educational purposes. Cadillac and 610 KONA do not endorse any of the suggestions made by the presenter or callers. Now back to Cadillac On Call. Once again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to Catholic on Call, presented by the Catholic Foundation. We're visiting with Dr. Umer Shah, who is the Secretary of Health of the Washington State Department of Health, and he's graciously with us for another segment. And, and Dr. Shah, I'd like to spend a little more time, if I would, if we could, on vaccines, and especially children's vaccines, with, with all of the issues surrounding the fatigue around wearing masks in schools. And I know, uh, again, the rates of childhood vaccines are, are not not as good as they could be, especially in our region here. As you try and as we try and reopen up and, and continue to treat, to open up here, what is your message to to parents? I guess on both sides of this issue, who are hesitant about their kids going to school in a non mask situation, and those who have been fighting to not have masks in schools. Well, first of all, this is really the crux of the issue, right? This is this is where I come at it from not just as a doctor, not just as a public health professional, not just as a secretary of health. I come at this as a parent. And, you know, I will tell you, every single day my wife and I are having conversations at the dinner table about our kids and what's what's best for them, what's best for their health, what's best for their safety, what's best for their protection. How do we make sure they're, they're able to, you know, perform in schools? And at least the two older ones are in school and they're, you know, they've been just like everybody else. They're following the rules. They're masked and they're, you know, they're both, by the way, vaccinated as well. And, you know, this is, um, in fact, all three are vaccinated, even the, the youngest. And I think what, what I would say is that this has been the political aspect of this. And there, what I've seen is that people are wanting to, you know, range from do it today, do it right now, to let's not do it for a long time coming. And we, this is where it becomes really challenging and really hard because we and then at the state level have to make decisions based on what the science, the data, what the information we have that really help drive us to a conclusion. Because when you then ask people, they're on both sides of of that decision. And so this is why for us it's so important that what we're going to do, and we've said this before, is we're going to stress safety and health. And we also believe that there is a time, which is you know coming soon, where we are going to be moving to living with COVID so that you can, in fact, in many ways we already have, you can do things. You just have to keep track of being healthy, safe, smart about it. You need to know what those tools are. Obviously, vaccines are an important part of it, boosters and masks, tests, all those things. But ultimately, it's about making good, smart decisions. And that's the emphasis that we also want to to put out there as we move into 
this phase, which is different than we were six months ago, even six weeks ago, even, you know, two years ago, which is really now about how are we going to continue to live with COVID-19, but also be safe in the process. You raise a very good point because I know we've heard this word endemic and that we're going to have to live with with COVID. Does that mean for especially the vulnerable populations or folks like me, that uh, those of us that have elderly parents, um, that we're going to always have to be conscious of, of, of when we interact with them? Well, you know, we, we absolutely need to protect those who we can't, uh, can't protect themselves. And, you know, I'll be honest, uh, uh, I've had my mom who uh, brought up from Texas, and uh, she uh, is in her 80s now, and she had a, a stroke way back 30 years ago, in fact, 30 years ago, just, just the December. And she has been in the community setting, the home setting, with us. We have, we have done everything we can to help her protect her. She's vaccinated. She's boosted. When she's around people, she's wearing a mask. And while her health right now, for other reasons, is not the best, it is our responsibility to help her be as safe and protected as possible. Same thing with our kids. Same thing with others with chronic health conditions. And so I do think that we have to, you know, our, our, our way of looking at the world is different than just saying it's a, it's a broad paintbrush stroke where everybody is exactly the same. We recognize there are going to be nuances on how we look at that world. And that world, that nuanced world, is going to really help us as we continue to move forward in this, again, in the phase that we're currently in. That's kind of segues into a, a next question I was going to ask you as we begin year three of the pandemic is what you just described, perhaps your greatest learning and maybe our greatest learning that we can take from this? Well, I think there are a lot of learnings. I think one of the learnings, and you know, I was talking about that. You remember that Will Smith movie, Independence Day, <laughs> yeah. you know, where everybody gets together and, you know, the whole world is, you know, aliens are descending in and, you know, even the president, as you remember, went into a fighter jet, goes up, and we're all united to fight the aliens, right, the common enemy. Unfortunately, that's not how this pandemic has played out, not just in our, our state, our country, our, our world. It's been we've been fighting each other. So I think the biggest learning, if we take a step back, has got to be that when we work together as a team, there is no limit to what we can accomplish. But if we use it to divide ourselves and and take sides, then guess what? That's exactly what happens is that we fail and the virus in this case wins, or in the case of the movie, aliens win. And so I think that's the biggest lesson. But in addition to that, as we're as we're looking ahead, we're looking ahead at, at really the tools, whether it's vaccines, boosters, masks, at home tests, or you know, the you know, the you know, be careful when you're out in certain settings, all of those things in addition to this is really important. In addition to the things that we haven't been able to emphasize or get as much airwaves on, which is your physical health, your nutritional health, you know, your, your, your mental, emotional health, your, your spiritual health, your, the vitamins you're taking, the sleep that you're getting. And if, unfortunately, you do get sick with COVID-19, therapeutics and therapies to help you so that you can have the minimal impact from COVID-19 and not get into a point where you are hospitalized and have a serious outcome. So it's empowering ourselves with these kinds of not just tools, but how to use those tools. I think that's been the biggest challenge is trying to, to, to describe what 
not what these tools are, but how best to use them as we move forward. And I know you brought up a really good point because I know it impacts hospitals like where I work and the people that come to proceed, come to to hospitals like Cadillac for care that they've had to have put on pause for a month. And they use this term elective procedures. And I know these we call them non-urgent procedures, whatever you call it. I know uh, finally, I think Friday is uh, we can resume those after Friday. And, and I think that goes to that last point you just made is people, this is vital care that people need. They just are, are able to hold off a couple of weeks, but it doesn't mean that they don't need that care. Well, that's exactly why this is such a difficult decision. I mean, we knew that we needed to, you know, to, to protect our healthcare system and the surge that was coming into the healthcare system. And as you know, many people, and you're in the healthcare system yourself, you know, people were going into the hospital, the emergency department for, for things that weren't always requiring um, emergency care, for example, seeking a test. Now, as that has that demand has started to come down, what we also want is that what that delay of care, what the, you know, people who have had to put off certain things and had to make sacrifices for, for everybody involved, that they can get back to doing those things so that you can talk to your healthcare provider, your healthcare provider can talk to you and ultimately get to the point where you can get those procedures done. That's what this is about is ultimately we've got to somehow sew this all together. We have to put the puzzles of the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle together so it makes sense and that we can actually move forward. And again, I'm hopeful that whatever this whole, all the politics and all the divisiveness and all the, all the left, right and blue, red and everything else that's been out there that we can move past it and really move at a place where it's really about us together and how do we live with COVID-19 for the long run. And hopefully at some point it truly does get endemic to the point where we don't have to be thinking about all these things as much. That's the hope for the future. And I know that's going to happen. We're just not there yet. Just a couple of quick questions. Uh, We have a couple of minutes left. And one of them is I'd I'd like to have you reflect, if you would, on the efforts of the frontline teams in this pandemic. And and to to me, it's not just uh, the healthcare workers; it's the essential workers at the start of the pandemic, the agriculture workers, the grocery store, uh, the grocery store staff, and of course those on the healthcare front line. What what's a message for them uh, two years into this? Thank you, thank you, thank you. I mean, you know, we we know how hard it's been. You know, as you know, I'm a fellow healthcare provider. Beginning of the pandemic, I was seeing patients um, in clinical care. I will tell you that this has not been an easy road. And as I as I go across the state and our team talks to various healthcare providers and doctors and nurses, but also, you know, grocery workers, and like you said, people that are driving the buses and all the other, you know, educational stuff, everybody, teachers, all the what an amazing rubric of everybody coming together. So it's it's gratitude and it's thank you for everything you've been doing. But it's not over. We need to continue to pull together. And I have one question, and I, I this one might be a tough one because one of your colleagues last yeah. week that was on our program uh, mentioned to me that you're a Bengals fan, and I know that's where you went to medical oh, school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and which is great. I mean, it was a great game. But obviously, in our area, Cooper Cup is from just up the road in Yakima. Went to college at Eastern, just up the way in Cheney. Uh, uh, a Super Bowl reflection uh, from your view. You got to be political, I'm sure. Well, political, of course, and Cooper was, uh, you know, he, he was amazing. I will tell you that I did, I, you know, I went to the game, and I waited 33 years. In fact, my mom, who is sick now, had, had encouraged me way back last in 1989 
next time they go, you're going to be there in person. So it's been a long time coming. And, uh, you know, we can do things where we can go, we can attend, just like we go to Seahawks games or Gonzaga games or what have you all throughout. But we just have to be thinking about doing it safely. And so I wish they had won. Um, I don't like the Rams. I will tell you that. But uh, I will also say what an incredible story of the underdog, the team that nobody thought. And that's us. That's America. That's all of us saying we can defeat this virus. We can win this pandemic battle, but we have to do it together. And so that's really the message. But, yeah, that was a tough loss. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Umar Shah, thanks so much for taking the time to with us. Continued good wishes. And I know at some point the mask mandate uh, will end and we'll all find out tomorrow. Thanks so much for your time. Back with the second half of Catholic on Call in a moment. listening to Cadillac On Call on 610 KONA. This program is not a substitute for direct consultation with your own health care provider. Always consult your health care provider for your specific condition, especially if you have or suspect you may have a medical problem. Now back to Cadillac On Call. Here again, Jim Hall. And welcome back to our program. A reminder, if you missed any part of Catholic on Call, our program is available via podcast. Just search Catholic on Call wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And our thanks again to Dr. Umer Shah, the Secretary of Health from the Washington State Department of Health. And uh, we're going to go back to Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District, who is, I think I said at the top of the uh, program today, uh, that it's been over 100 weeks now, Heather, that we've been at this. And um, you got to, I think, had a chance to hear Dr. Shaw's comments, that statewide perspective. But as we figure that we're going to get some sort of announcement relative to a date when the mask mandate will be loosened uh, tomorrow from Governor Inslee on what that date might be. I guess just a reflection from you on what Dr. Shaw said. You know, I always appreciate when Dr. Shaw or others from Department of Health take the time out to actually address our, our community on a personal level, and that's certainly what he did tonight. And, you know, all of us are waiting, especially in the world of public health. We we know an announcement is coming. We have some some ideas of what it's likely to, to what he's likely to say and how it's going to happen. But until he actually tells us, um, we're still waiting like the rest of the community. And then it's our job in public health to hear what he says, what he is requesting of us, and then us to message to our community so that they have a good understanding of of why decisions are made, what impact it will have on our community, and and honestly, in the long run, how it's going to improve the health and wellness, not only of Benton and Franklin counties and our surrounding counties, but but Washington state as a whole. So we're we're certainly waiting uh, to hear what he has to say tomorrow, just like everybody else. And on that topic, obviously, we can't predict an exact date, but the reality is going to be, he said last week, when he's, whatever he says, it's just going to be, here is the date when we are going to lift what is figures to be the indoor mask mandate. So it's not going to be effective tomorrow. It would be, here is the date, whether it's the end of February, mid-March, or whatever date that might be. Is that is that kind of what we're thinking without being specific? Right. I mean, that's kind of the expectation. We wouldn't expect to have a sudden, okay, we are done with masks, but we don't expect it to be a long timeline, we hope anyways. But I think the important thing for us to keep in mind is when things kind of lightened up back in July, 
let's not go back to what happened when when some of the things improved as far as those mandates. Then our numbers got very ugly very quickly because Omicron came along and the um, the picture for our community in our state changed rapidly very quickly. So I think we, we again, we're all looking forward to this, but when it comes to viral infections, you know, in my 38, 39 years in public health and following diseases and disease trends, uh, viruses tend to have a mind of their own, and, and we've gotten used to what Omicron is, what it does, how it reacts, how it moves about our community. But, uh, you know, COVID-19 is not done with us, and we know that it will, we've talked about the word endemic, we know that it will become endemic, but just like influenza viruses, Omicron, you know, influenza changes year to year to year. We see new strains, and it looks a little different year to year. Well, the COVID virus is, is very, very similar in that the variants come along, and it changes, and the picture of how we're going to react to it, what kind of mitigation strategies we need to use will have to change along with whatever this virus has in store for us next go around. You touched on whenever this, whatever the restrictions or whenever the, the, the restrictions get loosened a little bit, what, what, does, what does the health department, what does your team, want, whatever that date is, what is the next step for that from, from your vantage point? Is, is it to try and strike the right balance of, you know, recognizing that we can manage this, but at the same time uh, that we can also be, you know, a little more free than we have been in the past? You know, it is striking that balance. Um, Dr. Shaw talked a lot about, you know, all the different ways we look at our information that guide us on how to address um, this virus and the things we need to do to protect ourselves. So, you know, we will continue to look at our data. We'll continue to look at hospitalizations. And that's one of the, the key indicators is what's happening in our hospitals. Because if if they're not stressed and they're able to handle the the workload of illness that is being caused by this virus, then our mitigation strategies are working. I think as a community, we need to understand that for years to come, we all need to be very vigilant. And I suspect there will be a large uh, segment of the population who will continue to wear masks just to continue to protect themselves. And we, we cannot let our guard down in vaccines against uh, COVID any more than we dare let our guard down against some of the other vaccine-preventable diseases that we've really been able to make a dent in throughout history, such as measles, such as mumps, diphtheria, um, polio, smallpox, all those vaccine-preventable diseases because we've done such a good job in the United States of getting vaccinations into people we don't see these diseases anymore. Um, the same thing needs to happen with, with COVID is we need to just be vigilant in getting our community vaccinated, looking forward to the time when we can vaccinate even our little ones down to um, a six months old. That time will come and spread that, pro- that protection across all age groups so that once again, we can move about a little freer because we have one more tool in our toolkit that is helping to prevent us from getting severe disease. And I think we have to accept the fact that um, we're going to be working on these strategies for a while to come, but 
you know, certainly, hopefully not as restrictive as we've had to in the last couple of years. We touched on the hospitalizations and those numbers happily are coming down. 25, I, I shared that the number at Cadillac today, and it was 75 just a few weeks ago. And I know it was just a few weeks ago when, <laughs> unfortunately, our case rates were making national headlines in Benton and Franklin counties. Uh, where are we at? Give us an update on where we are with case rates currently, Heather. Sure. Again, it's more good news. We have certainly seen, again, a decrease from last week to to this week. So Benton County is at 1,340 per 100,000 over 14 days. Franklin County is at 1,585 for the same time frame. But I think it is also very, very important to realize those are still very high. We're heading the right direction. Like Dr. Shaw said, we're looking at not just a, a sudden dip, but we're looking for a decrease that is sustained over a period of time. And that's exactly what we're seeing. But even our sustained decrease down is still from a very high spot, and we are still at a very high spot. Plus, when we look at what's happening at the test sites, good news at our test site, like the CBC West test site, process fewer tests, only 4,660 in the past 14 days, was a 37% positivity rate. So again, that decreased and has continued to decrease, but still 37% positivity is a pretty high rate. And then put that into the context of a lot of people are doing in-home test kits, and they're not necessarily reporting them. So that is information that is not included in our positivity rates. So you put all of this information together and you realize, yeah, we're heading the right direction, but we're still very, very high. And it's telling us there is still a lot of virus um, throughout our community. It's interesting you you raised that. I remember the, I want to say at one point on the test positivity percentage I want to say in one of the thresholds when they're relative to opening, I don't even remember what it was over the past uh, two years of this, but it was the goal was to get below 10 percent test positivity. Right, right. We, exactly. We were looking for that below 10 percent positivity rate as kind of that that marker that says, OK, we're headed the right direction. We can start relaxing. And here we are at a 37 percent positivity rate looking forward to maybe relaxing our restrictions in the in the near future. Um, so again, from my public health nurse perspective, that I like to see the data, the direction it's going, but it's still a little uncomfortable to me knowing our community and human nature. When you're told you don't have to, you know, be involved in those restrictions anymore, it feels really good. But I also know there can be consequences. And everybody needs to do what's right for them, do the protections. Like Dr. Shaw said, think about your neighbor, think about your family, think about your friends when you decide to make those changes in your own personal life. You know, it makes me think about the um, the TV show Weakest Link. And, you know, it's a little disheartening to realize that the Tri-Cities has been seen as kind of a, a weak link in the state in order for us to move out of some of these mitigation strategies as we see our community continuing to have low vaccine rates and high disease burden. 
We're visiting with Heather Hill at the Benton Franklin Health District. We have to take our final break. We have a few minutes of Heather's time, and we'll visit more with her right after this. You're listening to Cadillac on Call on 610 KONA. This program provides general information only. Any comments or information presented are strictly for educational purposes. Cadillac and 610 KONA do not endorse any of the suggestions made by the presenter or callers. Now back to Cadillac on Call. Once again, Jim Hall. Continuing our discussion with Heather Hill at the Benton Franklin Health District and fascinating discussion tonight with Dr. Umer Shah from the Washington Department of Health and Heather Hill at the Health District. And and Heather, once we find out uh, when the next phase of the mask mandate can change, I, I'd like to, if you would, uh, you touched on this word endemic. Uh, if, if, if everything was, was like you would like it to be uh, as a public health nurse and a public health expert for as long as you have been watching this, what would it be like around here in six months from now and maybe a year from now? What what would our lives be like? When we look at something being endemic, that means that that, that disease has kind of reached a plateau where you'll see um, kind of some ups and downs in the data, but it's plateaued at a very stable level and it's sustained and it's with us kind of like influenza is around specifically during the, the winter months. And that's what we expect to see to happen with COVID at some point in the hopefully not too distant future, you know, again, depending on variants and how those act, we would expect to see COVID become what is called endemic. You know, a pandemic is global, it's high numbers, and literally that, that disease has spread from its point of origin all around the globe. And that's certainly what happened with COVID. And then when it hits that endemic stage, it's at that point where we have enough people vaccinated. We have enough people with some level of immunity that we're not seeing these tremendous spikes that wreak havoc on our, our healthcare system. Um, and that's hopefully where we'll get once we get enough vaccines in people and there's enough immunity within our community that we're just seeing a kind of a sustained, predictable level of disease burden within our community. And with, with that, as we have a couple of minutes left, I'd like to have you address how are things, I know one of the most vulnerable populations, especially early on, was the, the, the elderly in the long-term care community. Are, how are we doing there right now? Are we, are we optimistic in that arena too? And then what, what would that be like going forward? Would we still need caution when we're around our, our elderly loved ones? Well, I think what COVID has done is kind of reminded us just how vulnerable we are as humans to something like a little tiny virus that you can't see and how it can wreak havoc on individuals and, and communities. And what we saw, like you said early on, is it, it hit our long-term care, that vulnerable population, so very, very hard. And unfortunately, we're starting to see that happen again. We've been following quite a number of of outbreaks in our long-term care facilities as people's immunity wanes. Um, and that's the important thing to remember is whether it's disease process or vaccine-mediated immunity, the immune will, will wane from the vaccine and you become susceptible again. 
And so we cannot let our guard down uh, with regard to those very vulnerable populations, such as uh, the elderly, those in the long-term care environment. And that's where, again, me looking forward to a year from now, two years, five years, having a very robust vaccination system is going to be extremely important. And being able to have a vaccine that meets the need of the current variant that's um, circulating. Just like every year, we typically have a different flu vaccine, which is supposed to be effective against the predicted flu strain that's going to come through our community. Well, the same thing is going to need to happen with regard to COVID is what variant is out there? Is the vaccine going to be protective against it? And that's the beauty of the mRNA technology is it's much easier, much quicker to formulate um, a vaccine to meet the changing strains, the variants that COVID seems to be throwing at us. So I, I think for years to come, it's going to be a very fascinating organism to watch We cannot let our guard down. But throughout the last two years, the good thing is, is is look at how quickly we got um, ways to treat it, the antivirals. Look at how quickly we were able to use technology that's been around for three decades to create a vaccine. And now we will be able to use that technology going forward. So hopefully we don't slip back into the way things were a year ago when we didn't have vaccine we didn't have antivirals. So the future is much more hopeful than when it was, you know, two years going into this with no vaccine, no medication to treat it. And now medical scientists will be able to take all this knowledge, improve on it, and, and use it years, years to come. Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District. As always, thanks so much for your time. And again, the news today, the city of the Richland School District spent three years and three hours in executive session uh, relative to whether to lift a, manda- a mask mandate that was passed yesterday with no action taken after a three hour executive session. And what I'm hearing is that there will be no school in Richland, at least tomorrow. More to come from 610 AM radio. Thanks for our guests for their time tonight. And thank you. Good night.